Oh, I, 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 I sent this out by, by email, but I wanted to, in case you, don't, you, you, didn't, you didn't get the BP Blast, uh, many of you get it. It gives a preview of, the, of, of what's coming up on Sunday, but many of you don't read it. So let me give you, uh, let me give you uh, just a, a brief uh, a kind of summary of what I gave there because I think it, it really fits and draws us in to maybe approach Second Timothy, the book of Second Timothy, a little bit differently. Here's the situation. There's a government that used to provide a tolerant and stable environment in which Christianity's influence seemed to flourish in the society and spread and grow. But recent political changes have reversed that trend dramatically in, in, in just a few years' time. Now political leaders use Christians as scapegoats for societal problems, and believers are discriminated against and actively persecuted because of their faith. It used to be that being a citizen, having citizenship, once provided some protection from political bullying, from and from political bullying, from mistreatment by, uh, by somewhat despotic rulers, not so much anymore. No longer shields that citizenship, that, uh, that uh, standing, no longer shields Christians from the ra- raging of an increasingly unhinged ruler. This was the situation around about A.D. 64. Things had changed in the Roman Empire fairly dramatically in a fairly short period of time. The early years of, of, of the emperor's reign, when Paul was first arrested and vindicated, and he was set free. But now the emperor has gone a, a, a bit more unhinged. He has actually begun persecuting Christians. He needed a scapegoat. Things have started to fall apart in the empire, and, and there's a fire in Rome. In the midst of all of this unsettledness, Christians are an easy, mar- easy target to marginalize and to point blame to. And we, we all know that everything's going to be okay as long as we know who to point the fingers at, right? And so that's, 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 that's the political strategy of the day, and the Christians are an easy target, uh, uh, partly because they don't... They don't fight back in the same ways that others do. They, their trust, their confidence is not in the political power of the day, but their trust and their confidence is in the living God and their risen Savior as well. So it's in this setting, in the midst of increasing trouble and increasing persecution, in a day of increasing godliness, Paul tells Timothy, don't be intimidated. Don't back down. Press on, speak truth, serve Jesus all the way to the finish line. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't let up. Keep going. Second Timothy is about pressing toward the goal, pressing toward that prize, pressing toward that finish line, the carrying out that race, running well, which God has set before us. It's a, it's a call to continue. It's a call to keep going. It's a, it's a call to, um, to continue in the faith for ourselves, but especially for others. It's a, it's, a, it's a passing the torch kind of a letter. It's like a relay race that keeps going. That, that baton has been passed from one generation, from Paul. Now it's, he stretches it out and Timothy grabs hold of it and continues to run. And he tells Timothy to do the same thing, to take these things that have been entrusted to you, to take this truth of the gospel which has been deposited among you and teach that to faithful, faithful men and faithful brothers and sisters who will, who will teach others also. 
who will continue to pass it on, who will, who will run their lap well, and then also faithfully pass that baton to the next generation. That's what's going on. So there's a sports analogy here. I wore my Seahawks tie today. There's a sports analogy here. We're going to pick up that along the way. Paul uses them in this letter. And it's, and it's a fitting analogy for us to, to, to think through together. So when he's passing the torch, when he's carrying on, when he's handing off to to Timothy, he, he tells them in, in, four short, in four chapters four things. I've given these, these to you in your notes. First of all, Timothy, embrace suffering. Don't shrink back. Don't keep your head down. No, no, Timothy, embrace suffering. That's going to be part of the package, but that is on the road to victory. As we've said before in other letters, it is an uphill climb. But through suffering to glory. That was the path of Jesus himself. Why should it be any different for those who are going to follow him? So many of our prayers, so much of our perspective, so many of our questions concerning our faith and where is God are related to this issue of why is there suffering? Hello? In this bro- we are broken people in a broken world. There will be. If we are going to follow Jesus, it isn't going to be to Joel Olstein's church. There I said it. It isn't going to be there. It's going to be. We, we, are, we are following the one who had in this world nowhere to lay his head. He warned people of that who came and said, Teacher, where are you staying? I want to stay with you. He said, Well, Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Do you know what you're signing up for? But we follow him not only into suffering, but through suffering to glory. The glory he has already entered and the glory that he has reserved for those who believe him, who follow him. So embrace suffering. Pursue the prize. There is a prize to be pursued. There is a goal to chase. To stay focused in the chase, in the hunt, on the way, and to leave it all in the field. Well, we go back to that sports analogy again. So let us begin. We want to start in, 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 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, as I mentioned, this is Paul's last letter. Around about A.D. 64, he has been imprisoned again. I think I gave you some of that time frame last week uh, that, that uh, Paul was imprisoned first in the early 60s, and he writes those prison epistles, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. He also writes the book of Philemon. He is expecting to be released, and he, he is released uh, after, say, two years or so in Rome under house arrest. Not in a dungeon at that time. And then he travels again. He went as far as Spain. He travels. He's making a loop uh, around the Mediterranean again, going from what, what's now modern-day Turkey up around into, in, into Asia Minor. We're coming back towards Greece. In that loop somewhere, he's arrested again. It looks like somebody betrays him. His experience is not unlike Jesus. One who seemed close betrays him. He's arrested again, and this time it's, it's, it's much more serious. This time the political winds have changed, and he's not under house arrest in Rome because Jews have brought accusations against him. He is, he is in a dungeon in Rome because Rome itself has an axe to grind. And while he's in that dungeon, awaiting his execution, his, his time is at hand, he has a word for Timothy. And that word for Timothy begins as embrace suffering, and imagine, imagine you're Timothy. Imagine you've seen what was described in, in, the, in one of the adult Bible classes earlier this morning that uh, often it's the, the nail that sticks out above the others is the one that gets hit, right? Okay, well, Paul has been arrested. 
What are other followers of Christ going to do? They're going to potentially draw back. They're going to keep their heads down. They're going to try not to be noticed, which means not to be heard. And Paul doesn't want that to happen in the church. Paul doesn't want that to happen with Timothy. Don't read this in thinking that, well, Timothy is a, is a shy kind of guy. You know, we already know he had, a, he had a weak tummy. So Paul tells him to take a little wine for his stomach. No, there's... <laughs> Timothy's a, Timothy has been through some stuff. Timothy didn't, didn't fall off the trail and have to go back home like some others who travel who are. Timothy has stuck through. Timothy's been in some, 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 some difficult situations. Timothy has been Paul's emissary to churches when there was trouble brewing. Timothy's been through it. But these are difficult times. These are times that can intimidate any one of us. And that's why the letters we're sharing. That's why I think God has given it not only to Timothy, but he's given it to us. And so Paul picks up that, that word in verse... Uh, well, let's start in verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. This goes back a ways. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, real and genuine and deep, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I'm certain of it. I've seen it. For this reason, I remind you, because your faith is real, because your faith is genuine, because you have been there, you have been through it. Because of these things, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus even before the ages began but which has now been manifest, has been revealed, has been laid open through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Who has abolished death. What can they do to you, Timothy? Has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says, Timothy, don't be intimidated. Rather, embrace suffering. What are we afraid of? What, are we af what is there to be afraid of, Timothy, in light of this gospel? by the power of God who has saved us and called us. This, this calling which he gave us by his grace in Christ Jesus since before time began through Jesus who has abolished death, who's brought it into the open. We can know it. We can look at it. We can lean on it. What are we afraid of? People are going to think I'm a, I'm a religious crackpot, like the stereotypes. If I, if I speak up now in the midst of this society, in the midst of culture as it is today, if I speak a contrary voice, if I speak a voice for righteousness, if I, if I name the name of Christ, who people are going to think I'm intolerant. They're going, to think I, they're going to think I'm a hater. They're going to think I'm a bigot. They're going to say this or that. Well, really, the issue is not you so much. You, know, you, you really don't matter nearly in that sense to them as much as you might think you do. The issue is Jesus. It's him they can't stand. It's the manifestation of God himself. God himself revealing himself in humanity to whom we are accountable. He's the one they don't like. And so you bring him into the mix and all of a sudden there will be trouble. There will be trouble. They probably won't believe anyway. 
So why bother? What am I afraid of? <laughs> They're not going to believe. I can't make any difference. So why bother? Why put myself through that pain? Why put myself through that embarrassment if I can't make any difference anyway? Let me tell you a story about a, a nobody named Kimball. Edward Kimball was concerned about one of his young Sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town. One day Kimball visited him at the store, found the student working in the back stocking shelves, led him to Christ right then and there. That young man, Dwight Moody, eventually left the store to become one of the greatest preachers in evangelism of our time. Now Moody, whose international speaking, speaking took him at one point to the British Isles, he preached in a small chapel pastored by a young man with the imposing name of Frederick Brotherton Meyer. In a sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged study about a Sunday school teacher who personally went to every person in his class and told them about Christ. That message changed Pastor Meyer's ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist, an evangelist to, like Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Over the years, Meyer came to America. While speaking in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher heard Meyer say, if I'm not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing for him to make you willing? That remark led a man named Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God in his life. Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists in his day. A volunteer by the name of Billy Sunday helped set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Now this man, Billy Sunday, you may have heard of him, but in 1924 he led a crusade in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that crusade inspired businessmen in Charlotte, North Carolina to do it again a few years later. And they, they, they brought in another, another evangelist, some guy you've never heard of, named Mordecai Ham. How many people have heard of Mordecai Ham? A couple of you have. Mordecai Ham, in, that, in, in that, those evangelistic meetings in 1932, there was a, a, a tall, skinny, 16-year-old sitting in the crowd. And he came back, and he came back. And finally, toward the end of those meetings, he sat spellbound night after night, listening to this white-haired preacher. Night after night, a teen came and finally went forward to give his life to Christ. The teenager's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, you've heard of. Billy Graham has communicated the gospel to more people than any other in history. But that all started with a nobody named Edward Kimball. But Billy Graham was not only a well-known evangelist. Billy Graham, earlier in his ministry, was the first staff member of an organization named Youth for Christ. And Youth for Christ has since, has since gone and grown to, to impact youth and students all over this country and beyond. And there's a new chapter of Youth for Christ being formed right here in Clark County. I've, I've, been, I've had the privilege of being, being part of a leadership circle for that effort. A man named Sean Hart, who happens to be the brother of R. Kelly Wallstrom. Even there, there's a connection back through Youth for Christ, through Billy Graham, through Mordecai Ham, and all the way back through Dwight L. Moody to somebody you never heard of named Edward Kimball. Because what you and I might say or do to the person next to us or somebody who has some connection to us but is not a believer in Christ, our bothering to, say, to, to share the gospel with them probably won't make any difference. Or it might change everything. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is the gospel. This is the powerful gospel that God himself has entrusted to us. And so Paul says, this deposit that I've been given, this good thing that has been entrusted into, our, into my care, he says, this is why I'm willing to suffer. In verse 12, 
I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. God's going to keep his word. God is going to guard his gospel. God is going to do his work, and he's chosen to do it through, through us. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to be embarrassed. I don't need to hold back. I can embrace suffering for a little time because of the glory that is set before us. And so he tells Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard that deposit. Guard that deposit. Put it to use. Get it out there. Sow that seed. Embrace suffering. By the power of God, chapter 8 says, in, in, share the, the, the deposit that has been given to us. Now, now, not all are going to do, not all are going to do so. Look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the, oh, sorry, let me back up. Verse 15, you are aware that all in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Hermogen, I, I don't know anything about those people. I don't know anything about the impact they had. I don't know anything about the impact they could have had. But may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. I don't know much about Onesiphorus either. But, Paul says, he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. He came near and he visited. When he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. When the Lord comes in the glory of his appearing and in his kingdom, vindicate this man's small sacrifices off in a corner where nobody else saw and we would never even know his name if Paul hadn't mentioned him here. I want to be like a Timothy. I want to be like an Onesiphorus, though I can't even pronounce his name. I want to be faithful like that in a corner somewhere where God will use me to make a difference that I might not even see at the time, but he will be glorified. Embrace suffering. Pursue the prize. The theme continues in chapter 2. You then, verse 1, chapter 2, you then, my child, the, the elder Paul speaking to a younger Timothy, he says, my child, it's not that Timothy's so little, it's a, it's a term of endearment. Timothy grew up in faith under Paul's tutelage and discipleship. My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, it's not on you. It's not on us. It's not going to be by our methods. It's not going to be by our abilities. It's not going to be by my own strength of courage. It's going to be by the grace of God that is in me. By the grace of Christ Jesus, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass it on. Give it to others. Give it to faithful men who will teach others to continue in your calling. Stay faithful. He gives three metaphors. He gives three illustrations. He gives us in chapter 2, there's a, there's a soldier, there's an athlete, and there's a farmer. Verse 3, share in the sufferings of a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlists him. The single-minded soldier, don't be distracted. There are many things in life to distract us, aren't they? There's all kind of things that grab our attention. There are all kind of busy pursuits that we engage in. He says, a soldier, Ty, for the next six months, you're going to be busy, huh? There, the, there, there are going to be posters that don't get made because Ty's not going to be making posters for the next six months. He's going to be a busy guy in a different direction. And that's what he needs to be doing. 
If you're, if you're enlisted as a soldier, that's what you do. You focus on the, on the mission. Mission first, distractions aside. Oh, that the church would get that, huh? Oh, that we as followers of Christ would get that. Mission first, distractions aside. God has entrusted the gospel of Jesus himself into our hands, to our lips, to our beautiful feet. The undistracted soldier, the single-minded soldier, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He presses hard toward that prize, the, the idea of the victor's crown that an athlete would receive. A farmer, he says, the farmer ought to be the first to share of his crops. Think about these things. Dwell on them. What is that? Well, the soldier we talked about, no distractions, mission first. The, the athlete continues to train, pursue, and, 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 and chase and devote himself to that prize which he intends to win. He hopes to win. And he'll train for years and years and years for that moment when he goes for the gold. And so with that same, same kind of devotion, that same pursuit of a much greater glorious prize, so we run. So we press on. We pursue the prize. The farmer. The farmer sows the seed. And there's so much about that that he can't do. The farmer in this day and age did not have the irrigation that we do. The farmer watched for the early rains. And when it seemed like they were happening, that's when he put the seed in the ground. The early rains would come and the crops would germinate and begin to grow. But if the later rains also didn't come as the crops were growing, developing, there was a crucial time when they would not finish. They would not reach fullness. The, the, the fruit would not be yielded if the later rains also did not come. And, and the farmer controlled none of that. But he continued working. He continued working when plants were little, when there was nothing yet to harvest. He continues working and caring and picking out the weeds, trusting that one day there would be a harvest that would make it all worthwhile. Sometimes the harvest we don't see yet, and yet we continue to labor. We continue to sow seeds. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians, I, I planted, Apollos watered, and God give the increase. We have a, 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 that, that farmer's an analogy. We haven't seen the end of it yet. The athlete's an analogy. We haven't seen the prize yet. We haven't stood on the awards stand yet. But it's coming. And so we run. And so we sow. We plant and water. We pursue the prize. Now, as an example of, of how to do that, he, 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 he gives some, some wise words here. Verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Don't get in silly arguments, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who's not ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene, like a rot among the body. And so he, he, that, that theme continues uh, verse, uh, in, in verse 22. No, sorry, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Who knows? If I speak up, if I'm willing to talk gently, graciously, not combatively, not necessarily confrontationally, not speaking about side issues, but if I can bring up and bring in somehow the gospel into this conversation, into this moment, who knows what God will do? 
we talked about a scenario when, the, when we had a, we have a group that gathers together, a group of men each Monday. You're welcome to join that if you'd like. About 7 a.m. we're in my office. And we're talking about the, the passage that I'm going to be speaking on the following Sunday. So this is kind of my, my jump start into the sermon. And as we're, we're talking about a scenario. Here, here, here a bunch of colleagues are together before work. They're, they're traveling together. And there's this conversation about things of the day, news of the day, what's going on in society. And it talks about the, some of the just ongoing immorality in our society. And people are trying to just understand that, that lifestyle and what's going on there and why people can talk about being in a committed relationship and yet still have the freedom to have other side relationships or hookups in the midst of all that and, and, how can all that be or how they do that and just talking about that and in the midst is a Christian and he's sitting there saying I feel like I need to say something here but I don't know what to say do I just do I speak up and speak out against that kind of immoral lifestyle is that what I should be doing should I be speaking to godless people about godless living well godless people are going to live how godlessly of course how else are they going to live would you rather they pretended they were Christians so, what to do? What to speak in? And as we talked about that, we thought, well, one way in a setting like that, why not an example of speaking graciously, an example of moving toward the gospel in the midst of that context might sound some... I could throw out a Bible quote. Well, that might kind of fall flat in, in contradiction. It might shut the conversation down, and it might just shut the conversation down. I don't want it to go forward. What could I do? How about, you know... It seems to me that, that people who are living in that way, they're, they're searching for something. They're hungering for something. They're searching for something of meaning. There's, there's, there's an emptiness in life, something they can't quite reach. You know, there's a, a, a guy named Pascal, that guy that the computer language is named after. He said all the way back in the 1600s that, that there's an emptiness or a craving in every person that can only be filled by God himself because he made us. The ancient sage Augustine, long before him, said, O Lord, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That kind of thing going on that people are pursuing, it tells me that they're restless, that they're looking for something. They're looking for something they can only find in the God who made them. We've mentioned God. We've mentioned a creator. We've, we've touched an emptiness. We haven't condemned particularly a person. We've pointed out an emptiness that they're trying to fill in a way that can never work. Now, that may have gotten close enough to the gospel to scare anybody off. Anyway, I'm not saying that'll work, but, but that could be a gracious opening to carry the conversation further. How can we speak with gracious words to the gospel that God has committed into our trust? Because perhaps God will grant them repentance. The unlikeliest of people. Paul knows that. Why? Because he's one of them. He's one of them. Paul was one of those unlikeliest of people who now has become the chief proponent of the gospel that he once tried to destroy. So he says, embrace suffering, Peter. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed because I am in prison and I'm not being vindicated. Jump in. Pursue the prize. Stay focused in the midst of such an evil age. Chapter 3, understand this. In the last days there will come difficult times. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. 
Facebook, anybody? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Okay, first of all, it would do us good as Christians to read that description now and again. None of that is good. None of that is where we should be living. The second thing I want to point is these are people who have a form, an appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Is Paul talking about people outside the church in ungodly society, or is Paul talking about people in the church? Ooh, people who have a, who have a form of godliness and yet are denying its power in their daily life where these other things are found there that don't fit the gospel. That's why. This is, this is I, I used the analogy of a farmer earlier. Folks, these are the weeds. I don't mean people as weeds. I mean the things in our own lives that we've got to be careful to watch out for, and they will spring up. We didn't try to have those things spring up, but they'll spring up, and we weed them out because we want our life to be different. We want our life to be used by God in ways that will bring Him glory. Stay focused. In the midst of that, in the midst of that scenario, look at verse 10. However, you, Timothy... You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And he goes on. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Evil people and postures will go from bad to worse. But you continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you have, been firmly, you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, even from the Scriptures itself. All Scriptures breathed out by inspiration of God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be competent, equipped, furnished for every good work. So he says, in the midst of that, you, Timothy, be different. Stay focused. These, they're going to be difficult days. I mentioned I wore my football tie. It's, it's, it's game day. You know what? If we're in the game, we're going to take some hits. Okay? When that wide receiver, let's see, Seattle plays San Diego today. So, so San Diego's Malcolm Floyd is going to go up for the ball. He's going to go up for a Philip Rivers pass, and it's going to be good. But he, as, as the ball's coming down, he glances, and he sees Cam Chancellor coming with that, I'm going to hit you look in his eye. And he knows what's coming, Right? We're going to take some hits. Let's turn that around. Percy Harvin's flying down the field, and he's up in the air for the ball, and there's a safety coming. I don't even know his name. I don't care. And he thinks he's going to put a hit on it. Percy's not going to be intimidated. He's not going to, he, he, he's not going to draw back. He's not going to say, oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm not catching any ball. No. No, he's going to reach for that thing. He's going to grab it in. He's going to run like the wind. And here's where I'd like to throw in an Isaiah you know, analogy that, that they will mount up with wings as eagles. And, but I'm not going to stretch it. It's only, it's only football, folks. We're in something much bigger than that, huh? We're in something much bigger than football. Goodness. Think of the tie off. Lose, lose the tie. We're in, something, we're in something much, much bigger than that, right? We're in a game that's not a game. We're, we're in a battle that is bigger than any other battle that's being talked about today. We are in what is for keeps because it's for, it's for eternity. Stay focused. He says, but you hold to my teaching, but not just my teaching, not just what's up here. 
my conduct, my aim of life, my, pers- my, my, my purpose, what you see me give myself to. And I wonder, we talked about older, old, older teaching younger. I wonder, parents for children, what, are, what do your kids see that's important to you? What do they see that communicates to them what makes what's, what's most valuable in your life, what's most important? What would they say is your aim, is your purpose, is your conviction? Not from what they hear, but from what they see. You want to have an impact from others. Maybe the kids are gone, but there's others in your circle of influence. What do people see? What do the people that you work with hear and see in you that tells them about you? And I hope it's not just being right about social issues. I hope it's kindness and mercy. There was a line, I, 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 had, I was asked to be interviewed by K2 News in relation, in relation to this accident, and there was a lot of good stuff I said that they just didn't put out there. Anything that gets, gets a little religious or something, they just edit that out. But one of the things I said, what, what I see in a situation like this, what we learn in a situation like this is for better or, or worse, our actions have impact on other people in ways that we would never imagine. Somebody who's, who's, who's driving drunk carelessly smashes into a family that he never planned on. He never expected to be there at that intersection as he came barreling through it. He never expected to change and impact those lives the way that he did. And Anna, in the hospital, never expected that people in battleground that she never even knew would be wanting to help them and come alongside and, and give them some money for gases or shuttling back and forth to the hospital or give them some money for food while, to help care for their family while everything's all upset and, and there's going to be more expenses rolling in. People she didn't even know, she had no idea. And some comments that others made in social media say, how can we help? And so a way is set up and people jump in and begin to help. And the impact those actions had on that family, the people they don't even know care for them. The people around you would be surprised. You really care for them when you come alongside them in a way that's beyond the normal, the expected, the, the casual and acquaintance. When, you, when, you, when, when the bottom drops out and you're there, it makes a difference. Stay focused. Stick to what we have been given. And finally, leave it all in the field. Chapter 4. I want to capture this moment. Chapter 4, look at verses 1 and 2. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Do you get that mood? Roll back, roll back the ceiling. Roll back the roof line. Roll back that beautiful blue sky. See there. The throne of heaven made a little more near. God himself in his presence. God is in our midst. The risen Savior, the one who knows what it is to live among men and to be ridiculed and mocked by them, but the one who gave the good confession and told the good testimony all the way to the end, the one who willingly laid down his life for our sake, the one who knows what that's like, sits at the right hand of the Father waiting for his coming again in, in, in light of his appearing in his glory, the, in the presence of the Father and the Son, 
knowing the certainty of his coming again and his reward will be with him and his kingdom will be established and all that has been wrong will be made right and everything will be worth it all when we see Jesus. In that, in that setting, in that setting he says these simple words, preach the word, proclaim the gospel, tell the story. Tell your story. Share what it is that God has done for you. This is the pinnacle and purpose of our letter. It's a, it's a call to the next generation. It's a call to our generation, the generations that are in this church family, to grab hold of that baton and run with it. To hold nothing back. Don't let anything intimidate you from the calling, the glorious calling of God on our lives that has entrusted you with the gospel, deposited it into your heart for the purpose of your passing it along to somebody near you. There's a person near you that needs to hear some of it from you, who especially needs to see some of it in you and from you. And God will be glorified. And who knows what God might do with that glorious gospel in their lives. Our lives, the choices that we make, do make a difference. If it's a poor choice, it can for evil. But if it's a good choice, if it's taking up God's call, what we choose to do, what we are willing to do, what we are not ashamed to do, what we are empowered by the Spirit of the living God to do, God will use in ways that you and I could never imagine. That's what I want. God, I, 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 I came away from this week wanting my life to touch people more. I came away from this week wanting to make a difference, not in tragedy, but in Christ's triumph. Let's pray. Father, would you do that? Lord, would you use our lives as weak as they are? Lord, uh, what, what do we have? What can we offer? Lord, simply, simply a heart that knows Jesus Christ as Savior, knows that your word is true, knows that he suffered and died, but that also he rose again, and so he's coming again. And anything here, all of this stuff is temporary. And that the fulfillment is found not in the places we would, we would seek it. But rather our fulfillment is found. Our hearts are fully satisfied when they find their rest in you. Oh Lord, would you help us to, to as we rest there, as we have found that fulfillment, Lord, also that it would overflow out of us, that the gospel could be seen and heard to others. Oh, Lord, cause us willing to, to be distracted less, to pursue the prize more, to not fear suffering, but be willing even to embrace it if that is for your purpose of getting near to another for eternal glory. We are willing, Lord. Or, Father, we are willing for you to make us willing. In Jesus' name. Amen.